Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. Chris Ortega, welcome to Being Planful. Nice to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. So it's uh, you know it's a really pleasure to ha- to have you on the, on on the podcast today. Um, one of the things that we talked about in preparation was just talking about a lot of the transformation that you've led in the past and how others can lead that transformation. Before we get into that meaty topic of finance transformation, I wanted to ask what brought you into finance. Like, how did you become a finance professional? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, for me, I, I would say I'm a non-traditional finance person. But when I originally uh, went to college. Uh, ironically enough, I started off as a marketing person. So I love the four P's. I love the creativity aspect of it. And then uh, Sarbanes-Oxley happened, Enron happened. And it was like Oprah Winfrey when it came to jobs and accounting and finance. And I've always had a passion for numbers and connecting the dots and storytelling on that. So given that the whole purpose of going to college was you want to get a job um, and jobs were coming in demand, that's when I switched over my first uh, semester in college over to accounting and finance. And uh, ever since then, I've been on this accounting finance FP&A road ever since. But uh, for me, I would say I'm a uh, salesperson in a finance job. Right. Selling, selling the success of finance, right? Definitely. Definitely. And so, um, you know, wh- where did you grow up? Like, how did you, you know, how did you get yourself to college? Yeah. So for me, I come from a very humble background. Um, I grew up in a single parent home here in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, I grew up in not the best areas. Um, I have a very big extended family. I also have a twin sister. So part of me growing up, man, was just all me and my sister and my mom uh, all together. My mom actually instilled in me all the hard work, dedication, and just honestly love of numbers. My mom always carried three or four jobs. She always budgeted down to every single cent, pen, uh, penny and cent. So even at an early age, I knew my mom was a controller. <laughs> uh, before I even like realized it. And I think a lot of that fell upon me. And then going to college, um, I was fortunate enough to go to a uh, minority diversity program called Groups. And basically what it does is it allows low income first generation college students to have the opportunity to have all of their education paid. So luckily, my sister did that program, I did it and qualify for it. So all of my college and academics uh, in the undergraduate was actually paid for which was a, such a tremendous blessing for me and my family because with outside of that, my mom could no way or my family could support us going to college. Yeah. And uh, that was an awesome thing to be able to do. And then uh, for me, I've always been based in Indianapolis. A lot of my friends have ventured off to New York, California. They, uh, uh, you know, for me, but this has always been home. And I think the lo- thing I love about the Indianapolis market is it has a high uh, IQ of finance, accounting, FP&A professionals focused in the space that I am, which is high growth entrepreneur startup technology companies. So for me, it's having the opportunity to have those companies and those uh, industries here, but also have a, a way of being able to shape in the narrative in that community. So that's important to me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Indiana through and through, man. So go Hoosiers. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I grew up in a very similar environment to you, single, single mother, uh, just me and my my brother, who was about twenty months older than me, and uh, and we were in Australia. It's slightly different with the whole college track because uh, the government luckily run a program because, called the Higher Education Contribution Scheme, where 
where they pay for your college, uh, you just pay them back in tax over time. And it, it ultimately pays off for the country and, and it helps people get into college and, and, and get things going like that. But, um, you know, I certainly know that feeling. My mum was an accountant for a, a retail <laughs> store uh, and, uh, you know, she was implementing ERPs and SAP and she definitely was the controller of the house like, uh, like you described your mum. So, uh, you yeah, know, really interesting there. That's awesome, man. So, um, you know, I, I saw Amasis where, where you work today. Uh, we're uh, recently named a, a Magic Quadrant leader in real-time personalization. So congrats to you and the Amasis team on that. That's always a, a significant achievement. And I know the hard work that goes into that. So, so congrats. Thanks, man. Thanks. And, um, you know, in, in terms of that, like you're obviously blending that, that marketing experience that you got in your first couple of years and that, that college experience into finance. So tell me how you use that uh, within your organization at, at a master's now. Yeah. So I think for me, like part of it is uh, making it like when you think about accounting, finance and FP&A professionals, right? Specifically in high growth entrepreneur technology companies, we wear a lot of different hats. Like right now as the director of finance for our America's operations, I lead all the accounting finance and FP&A for our U.S., Canada and South American operations. But I'm not just the accounting finance FP&A person. I'm the legal person sometimes. I jump on customer calls. I help our marketing. I help podcast stuff that we do. I, I help in operations. So for me, having that ability to not just be solely focused on finance, but to have a touch point in all the different areas is, is something hugely important to me. And I think uh, when you compare that to what a marketer's job is, you talk about a hard job, right? Marketers are finance people. They're strategic people, they're marketing people, they're operations people. To have another uh, profession that I think closely aligns to that, what I do in accounting, finance, and FP&A, it is 100% for marketers. So for me, our entire value proposition from a software perspective is making their jobs easier, getting them turnkey solutions for, the, for them to implement in days, not months, and actually being a forerunner in implementing AI and machine learning inside of our platform right? I think when you think about marketers, all the different uh, send time optimization, when is the right email to send offline, online, like all the different experiences, definitely nowadays of what that customer experience is going to be. And how do you reach that customer? How do you drive that behavior? You want to have a solution and a partner that's fully vested with you in that. So for me, I think being in the marketing space from a SaaS perspective, uh, with the, with the uh, technology that we sell and go to marketing with, but also connecting to our customers and making sure that we understand that we know the pains, the opportunities and the, the uh, strength and weaknesses that you have inside of your organization. So for me, I always love that we take the approach of not being another technology vendor. We want to be a technology partner. And I think that's, that's something that echoes in all of our services line, whether you're in accounting, finance, marketing, customer support, client success, implementation, marketing, SDRs, all across the board, we have as a company value, we love our customers. And I think like through the time that I've been at Amarsis, which will be four years in October, but it feels like eight, <laughs> right? When you're at a high growth entrepreneur company, like startup kind of, it goes fast. So I think those are really the things that I really love about what we do from a, from a tech stack perspective. But also at the end of the day, man, we really realize all the way from the leadership down, and this is you know, from our CEO, CFOs, and all of our uh, senior leaders in the Americas, we know behind everything that we're doing, there's a person. How I serve our external customers, right? 
I think one thing that um, for me is really important is having partnerships across the entire organization. One place where I'm just like constantly in lockstep with is our commercial organization, right? So being a SaaS-based business, existing business and new business and bookings is the driving force around everything around SaaS. So for me, I am positioned and focused more on the strategic side of our business, right? That's the partnership, that's the budgeting and forecasting, that's the cash flow optimization, that's uh, the risk management. Um, that's really the, the forward-looking side mm -hmm. of the business. So primarily where I spend most of my time, energy, and effort is specifically around those areas and specifically with our commercial teams, right? I'm involved in deal preparation, conversation, legal redlining. So that is an area of our business that is a growth engine for our entire organization. So that's where I'm laser-focused and positioned. But my also team, they support our tactical operations, which is 100% needed. And I structured all of my accounting FP&A teams in two tactics, strategy and uh, tactical operations, right? Tactical operations, as you may know, is all your accounting, finance, month and close, collection. It's all the, it answers the two questions in a business that always, what do we do and what do we say we're going to do, right? That's where tactical operations, and I have two tremendous people that run that entire shop. I've given them the, 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 the bandwidth, the, the, uh, the decision-making and also the accountability and encouragement to run tactical operations, right? Which I think traditionally in accounting and finance is a little bit different. They're like, what? Like, you're the director of finance. You should be involved in all that stuff. And I'm like, no, we stress a, a culture of empowerment, right? And I think the biggest opportunity you have is to learn through failure. So, uh, you know, our assistant controller, Sharice, and our staff account, Lauren, they are Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen when it comes to tactical operations, right? I, I, I'm just Dennis Rodman out here, right? I'm just, <laughs> out here, I'm just out here trying to get rebounds and make sure they got water and make sure, you know, they got their breaks and everything. But, uh, you know, that's how we structure our organization and support, right? And one thing that I think is a revolutionary that I think a lot of finance leaders should be doing is the first month that I started the organization, right? This may sound way left field but when I started the organization at Amarsis a little under uh, four years ago I was the first accounting and finance person in the entire role right like there was no our America's operations started less than five years ago so the cool thing about us is our America's operations is like a startup inside of a mature business the overall business is based in uh, Europe it's been around for 20 plus odd years you know, they got the A and the Asia pack has been around longer than us. So we're kind of like the startup inside of that mature business. And when I came to the organization, the first month, I didn't even look in the GL. I didn't want to know the numbers. I wanted to connect to the business, right? Which highlights a key point that I think where a lot of accounting finance FP&A teams uh, fall. When you build any relationship, it's all about trust and competency, Right. When you're, whether it's building with a customer, you're building a boyfriend, girlfriend, it doesn't matter what the relationship is, you're focused on trust and competency. And I think what a lot of accounting finance and FP&A leaders and teams go to is they they go right to the competency piece. That's the numbers, right? That's the budgets. That's the forecast. That's, you know, your budget's eight and you say you did 10. And I think they, they really hammer that piece. Where I always kind of come with it is building the trust first, Right. And part of me doing that process is I sat down with all of our senior leaders and I said, look, I'm getting an hour of time with you. We're not going to go any numbers. I want to sit back and listen and understand your business, right? 
So I set with our VP of sales. I set with our marketing. I set with our implementation. I set with client success. I set with our uh, existing business team. And I just sat down and I called it, you know, our therapy session. You get to get an hour and we talk about what's the, what, what are the opportunities you see in your business? What are some gaps that you have? How could I support you as a leader? What are some things my team could be doing to help provide you better insights? And I kept these conversations up, right? Because what's so important to me is I'm going to know the, the, the debits, the credits, the finance, the accounting, the formula, all that stuff. I know like the back of my hand. But what's more important is bridging in the gap and knowing that I'm a trusted partner in the trenches with them in learning their business. So for me, that's where I challenge all of my teammates to have that same uh, process and understanding. I think for us, we've positioned ourselves in the organization to answer one question. When it comes to a business uh, critical conversation that drives a significant KPI or in our organization, there's not one senior leader that says, I don't want, I won't make that decision without consulting my accounting and finance partner, right? And I think like that's such a key value proposition because traditionally accounting finance and FE&A has just been looked at as the number police, right? It's like the people that crack the whip when you go over budget or to say you can't travel to, you know, a company offsite because it's uh, you, your travel budget's over, right? That's traditionally how that mindset has been. But for me, I've always loved the opportunity to move away from that scorekeeping mentality to a valued partner inside the business. And, you know, that's supporting our internal customer as well as our external customers. So uh, for me, I think carrying that, uh, mindset and that uh, intentionality around making sure that we're business partners first and accounting and finance second is uh, pretty, uh, it's a pretty fundamental shift. And I, I can't tell you enough, man, when I sit across from CFOs and VPs of finance that from traditional industries or, you know, they've been around 40 plus odd some years and they're like, we don't do that, Chris. Uh, you know, my, my challenge to them is like, this is that that's accounting and FP&A of the future. Right. And I think technology adoption, business partnerships, strategic direction, resource optimization, and honestly, scalability. Right. We are past the point in business of throwing people to solve problems. Like, let's take a five second pause and RIP to that business strategy. Right. <laughs> you can't just throw people to solve problems anymore. So I think like making that mindset of making sure you're leveraging technology you you got a strong pulse of the business, you're connected to the people, and you're a trusted advisors. Uh, those have been pillars and milestones that I've seen and implemented that have been hugely successful in uh, accounting and finance teams. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, as you're talking there, one of the things that, that when I speak to a lot of finance professionals, right, they they have this, um, this servitude uh, philosophy, which is they're there to serve the business. And and sometimes uh, that ends up in them being a service desk, um, not a strategic advisor, which is what you're talking a lot about there is, you know, changing that relationship from being a service desk mentality, which is, uh, you know, give me the numbers and I'll help you with this model or I help you show that or, you know, no, I can't let you travel as you, as you pointed out there versus being a strategic advisor, which is then starting the questions, how can I help you? How can we work together to make that happen? How can I help you find the funds or how can I help you understand the growth drivers or, or the, you know, the, the churn issues like, and, and so you're still 
acting in in servitude, um, but you know, very in a very different philosophy in a very different way. And it's so much more powerful when you hear of leaders like yourself how they're able to really transform the business, being very finance led all the way through the business, and ultimately starting to help everyone in the business understand those financial drivers. And and that makes your job ultimately easier in the end. But it's it's not easy to to do. So tell me about kind of how you've actually started to create some of that internally and create that empowerment. Because I think that's where, when I speak to folks, it's like, they don't understand how to do that. Like they want to do that, but it's, how do we do that? Yeah. And I mean, that's a great question. And I was, I was waiting for that response on that. And to me, the biggest piece of adoption that I've seen that bridge that gap from that scorekeeping mentality to that valued advisor, that partner, right? I call it FPNA 2.0, right? I think traditionally a lot of accounting finance people have been operating in this FPNA 1.0, right? Which is traditionally financial planning and analysis, right? That to me sounds quantitative. It sounds numbers. It sounds regression models, right? FPNA 2.0 is all about financial partnership and advising. That's really holy grail. And to me, there's very few organizations that have made that FPNA 0.1 to FPNA point two, let alone have gone from scorekeeping to FPNA point one. The biggest gap and the biggest way to get around that that I've seen and implemented that have been hugely successful is leveraging technology. Your prime example, what you just mentioned, right? Where you go to that service desk mentality. That's Excel spreadsheet. That's living and breathing and we need finance to get us the numbers, right? We need finance to give me the numbers. Like that's the email you get eight o'clock at night saying, what's our revenue target for the next three months, right? And traditionally, accounting and finance people have held on to that. They love being that person to say, yeah, I'm I'm the one providing the revenue numbers, where that's not the value add, right? The value add is you get the numbers, what are you going to do about those numbers, right? And to me, it's a fundamental process that I've, I've seen in organizations and I've adopted through my experience in starting off in public accounting all the way through to now. And I call it the decision cycle. I think every business, regardless of what industry you're in, what group you're a part of, you follow this cycle. And the cycle is processes drive data. Data is then turned into information. Information is then shared through knowledge to ultimately make a business decision. That is that decision cycle, right? And where you want to be positioned as that, not that service desk mentality, but more of that knowledge and decision-making, that valued partner, let technology get you from process to information, right? Let technology do the budget to actual variance and you come in and provide the narrative. You talk to the people, right? But I think too many times, 80 to 90% of accounting and finance FPNA teams are focused on the process of gathering the journal entries to turn it into a trial balance to ultimately get it to be an income statement. Don't do that. Take your time away from doing all that data gathering, your Excel models. You know, I guarantee you there's going to be people that look at this and say, you know what, Chris, I spend 80% of my time just gathering and refreshing Excel models. That is not, that is not value add. That's not value add. And where you want to be positioned is the knowledge and decision-making the business insight, building the partnerships, giving the the directions, right? Guiding the ship that accounting and finance in an organization is going down. So for me, I've always leveraged technology. One place that I've always seen that is before I make any 
personnel decision, I go out and look at technologies out there, right? If a technology gives me 80 to 95% or of what my process is, I'll go with that, right? Because I want to have my people focused on those high value activities in that, in that decision cycle. I want them inside the business. I want them being a business partner, right? And I think that's a fundamental shift because A, you may come from a finance organization where you're looked at as, you know, you love being the person to come to to get the numbers, right? Or you love coming, having the conversation to tell people when to stop budgeting and spending, right? But to me, I think when you look at the future of, of agility and even now, man, I mean, this pandemic has forced organizations to, take on that mindset. So for me, I think one of the key blocks and one of the key steps up to move from scorekeeping to FPNA point one to FPNA point two point oh is loving and leveraging technology, man. And uh, I think like for my success and my sanity for that matter, if I didn't love and breathe and 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 have a passionate uh outlook around technology, there's no way I could build some of these partnerships or these initiatives or guide a business that has triple digits revenue growth year over year. So I think for me, as those people listening, that the first place to start is literally learn how to leverage the technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's certainly one of the interesting points, you know, you you sell to marketers and and obviously I'm in marketing and uh, I think marketing have done a huge job of, creating marketing operations team and marketing technologists. And there's a space called MarTech and it's all about the marketing technology to make marketing more efficient, make it easier for customers to create those processes that, you know, allow marketers to be more creative. And for some reason, finance has never created that technology first mindset. And, you know, if I went onto LinkedIn now and I said, you know, right financial technologist i probably wouldn't find any Zero. right and so it, it's it's the next generation of fpna leaders and and i like the way that you you call you know partnership and and and, and put that focus they're the teams that are going to win um and they're the teams that are going to help their company grow faster than their competition they're going to be the ones that help them you know change the score internally that has huge ramifications externally because they're able to to um accelerate those decision cycles you know i'm glad we didn't take uh, the pandemic wasn't our first conversation because that's probably been one of the first first <laughs> topics of, of conversation so we went what 20 or 30 minutes without uh without talking about the pandemic but one of the things that ha- that has changed is you know monthly decisions became weekly decisions, weekly decisions became daily decisions, daily decisions became hourly decisions for a while there. Definitely. And and now that's the, you know, the new normal. And so what we're going to see is teams having to say, well, I can't do that old way. And I think, you know, when when I talk to people about, you know, they get stuck in the modeling in Excel and they, you know, like it's not their fault that they got there. They were asked one day to do a cash flow forecast and like, do you know what? I went to college. I can do this. I, I know how to get that answer and it'll take me a couple of hours, but I'll be able to build something, right? Like Excel is what I learned in college. I'm good at it. Uh, I've got the skills. It was a textbook and a spreadsheet. That's what you got given when you left college, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, you know, they're like, okay, well, I, I need to get that, that person that answer. I'll build this great model and they go and build the model. 
And then the next day they're like, Oh, I need to, I need that information in a different way. And they keep building and they keep building it. Four months later, they're trapped with this behemoth of the thing that they completely, and, and they never get that opportunity to stop and go, Whoa, I've got to fix that. I've got to make that a process. I've got to make that a technology process. And I've got to make that get away from that, you know, the iceberg where 90% of my work is, has zero value because I'm running this spreadsheet that just kind of got created accidentally because I needed an answer one day and they forgot the intention. And, and that's one of the things that I see a lot is people just get trapped in, in that. And, and it's these conversations where, you know, you are able to say, Oh, well, I'm going to step back. Yep. And so, you know, as, as the listeners out there and the viewers out there, it's just, just have that little think to yourself, where did that intention, like what was the original intention of that thing that you're doing? And is that the intention of today? Right. And if it's not, go and reevaluate it, whether it's people, process or technology, just go and reevaluate it and, and go and find the thing that fits its purpose. And, and, and you'll be able to then start to, to do a lot of what Chris is talking about here. So some, some great points there, Chris. Thank you. So um, what do you see? I mean, on the, on the technology side of things, maybe, maybe it's not technology, but what do you see as the big bets that uh, upcoming, you know, next-gen FP&A leaders should be making on themselves, either in their own personal career or in, uh, inside their organization? What, what, what advice would you have for those people? Yeah, man, I think like, you know, agility. To me, there's three key bets. Like if I was to get my $100 bet and throw it on the Vegas craps table or the magic <laughs> ball, right? It's going to be three of them, right? The first one is uh, the value proposition fundamentally changing for accounting finance and FP&A, right? You, you mentioned that, man. I can't tell you at the peak of it through March. I don't remember March and May. I don't remember it. The, ra- <laughs> the, the reason why I say that is because like literally every day was 12, 13 hour days of nothing but modeling. Right. And uh, in our organization, we, uh, you know, we're, we're using all this stuff in Excel, right? And to me, I've been trying to champion uh, a, a budgeting, forecasting, scenario planning tool in our, in our space, in our technology, in our company for years, right? Because I've used, uh, you know, these awesome solutions in those space, like, you know, like Planful and, and some of the other tools that I've, you know, looked at in this space and said, man, these are tools that help you accelerate all of that, right? So for me, that was a very, very eye-opening process. And it was a very, very eye-opening process to our entire finance organization, right? Because we operate in, in, in hubs, right? I lead Americas, there's my counterpart in Maya, and there's my counterpart in APAC. And we were all doing our own things of measuring the business. I mean, like with me, I had weekly stand-ups with our entire commercial teams literally going through every single customer assessing their collection risk, bank's bankruptcy risk, revenue risk. When is their renewal date? What conversations are we having? What's their liquidity publicly or traded, you know, and literally every day just going through and methodically going through making my own assumptions around this. Right. Emeo was different. APAC was different. So we had a lot of processes that we had to do, but everybody's doing it their own way. And one of the biggest pieces that I took away from this and, and talked to our CFO about was like, we have to get standardization on how we look at the business. The same way we close an MRR contract here in Americas is no different than the same way we close it in EMEA or APAC. It's still an MRR contract. It still has an ACV. It still has all these different metrics. None of that changes. But the way we looked at that 
customer across those three different regions was completely different, right? So to me, I think really, really getting that value proposition around. The second piece of it, uh, uh, the bet that I would place is really leveraging AI and machine learning, right? For tactical operations, right? I've, I, did a, I did a session yesterday, part of a CFO Live, of talking with a lot of VPs and CFOs across the US, and we talked about this various topic, right? I think we are by nature gonna be laggers in adopting some of these tools, but there's already tools out there that help automate collections, help automate the AP process, help automate the invoicing process, right? Which traditionally have been functional people, right? That has been a dedicated collections person. It's been a dedicated billing person. It's been a dedicated, uh, all they do every day is just code invoices, right? That kind of process is, 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 is poised for automation right? Poised for either semi or full automation, right? And now you take that entire skill set, that resource, now you're able to allocate that to more high value things. So for me, I think it's really getting down the road of looking at your tactical operations and your finance organization to where you can begin getting down that road of uh, incorporating AI and machine learning. The third big bet that I would place is gone are the days now of organizations around this empowerment versus directive driven culture, right? Uh, I think you've had organizations that traditionally have always been button seat, nine to five, you gotta be there. If you're not there, you're not productive, right? I have come into an organization and I'm glad we're an empowered organization to where I report directly to the CFO. He doesn't care if I'm working in London, Jamaica, Bali, all it is about is driving the results. So for me, for accounting and finance specifically, that's scary, right? I'm, my, my team's not physically there. How do I know if they're being productive? Like that directive versus empowering mindsets, companies overnight had to shift towards that, right? Once the, everything shut down and you can't be access to your people, like there's leaders and teams that had to go remote, like instantly overnight, right? And building out these strategies, right? So for me, those are the three bets that I say, like for accounting and finance and FPNA, we have a full green light and all hands on deck to be driving those things inside of our organizations. And the thing I love about being in finance, accounting, FPNA is because we have the luxury of knowing how every single process ultimately drives a bottom line result, right? Like for me, there's seven KPIs that we use to measure our entire SaaS business. Number of leads, opportunities created, closed ones, uh, you know, projects completed, NPS scores, revenue and cash. That's it. When you look at any SaaS-based business, that is the life cycle. That touches every single point inside of an organization, right? So for me, having technology to give us that viewpoint and tracking around how we're doing on that, for my time to be focused with the business leaders, what are we going to do about this information? What are the things that you're seeing? How do we look at our pipeline? How are we driving these KPIs? And for us, leveraging AI machine learning, completely revolutionizing the value proposition we have in, in, in that cycle, but then also, you know, making sure that, you know, we're promoting a culture that empowers people to have the information to drive results around that. So for me, man, those are the big bets. And uh, I think, you know, being in the situation we are in now, it's accelerated a lot of those uh, processes and, and initiatives. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true of many, many technology organizations and many uh, 
Many changes globally, right? Like the the change to e-commerce and all of those big macro events, you know, things that were slated to happen in in 2025 are now happening this year, right? Because they're they're already happening. (laughs) They've already happened. Yeah. Yeah. That, that acceleration. And, and, you know, I think it's really important for the listeners that, you know, if you haven't accelerated anything, uh, turn around because you're going to have to really quickly and you want to get ahead of it because otherwise your competitors are already doing it. Uh, and you know, you, you, that's the place that you don't want to be. Definitely. So, so turn around, think about it, take some of what Chris's advice and Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation. And, uh, I want to leave with one question that I ask all my guests and, uh, and many people may know it, but what is being planful meaning to you? Man, I love that question. And I think to me, it's planful is two, two very, uh, 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 elements, right? I think when I think about being planful, right that to me is being patient, right? I think for me, that's a, and that's a I, full transparency with all the listeners, people that probably know me, they're the listeners. They're like, yeah, patience when it comes to Chris, that doesn't, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't, no, like that, that's not a P that fits Chris's profile is being patient for results, right? Like, uh, but for me, I think like being planful is being patient, right? And I think it's being patient with people. It's being patient with data, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's all those different. And I think the second one is, is being, uh, uh, you know, precise, right? For me, I think right now is the time period to have as much information to be precise as possible, but also to be flexible, to make a pivot or persevere decision, right? You, uh, you know, now's not the time to be that leader that marches 10,000 people offside of a ledge just because of your pride, right? You, you, you have to be, a person that is willing to make those pivot or persevere decisions based on data, not off of emotions, right? And I think the last thing that is really important for me, and I'll share this story to the listeners and viewers, is when all this stuff happened, I'll never forget this day. And, and for me, this is, it, it, it has been my North Star throughout this entire situation and will continue to, it changed my entire thought process on a leader on a servant leader that I want to be, a teammate that I want to be the rest of my life. And I remember seeing an infographic posted on LinkedIn and it said, remember how companies, teams, and leaders treat their employees and customers through this process because it's a true reflection of their values that they have in their organization. To me, that hit hard, right? Because you see countless times in the news of J.C. Penney's bankruptcy, Neiman Marcus bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. You know, you see uh, airlines furloughing people when it comes at the end of September, October 1st, right? And to me, one thing that I've been super mindful about is the empathetic and the, uh, the, the people around every single business decisions that I've had to make, right? And I commend our entire leadership team at Amarsis because we have been people-centric focused versus profit center focus in our decision making right and unfortunately a lot of organizations by force or just by leadership don't think that way so i think to me being planful is being a patient is being a precise and being a sympathetic and empathetic leader to your people because ultimately at the end of the day man no matter what we're doing there's always a human at the other side of that decision that initiative that result and I think being mindful of that. Now, honestly, like full spectrum, taking everything out, that's my hope that everybody takes away from coming out of this, 
right, is those small experiences and realizing, man, like I took for granted not being able to go to the gym for two and a half weeks and my body, you know, two and a half months. And my body was like thanking me because I'm eating cheeseburgers and all this yummy stuff. Right. But I didn't realize like that small thing of having that ability to be able to go to the gym, how impactful that was in my life. And I'll never take that for granted. So I think for me, that's what planful means uh, to me. And uh, my hope is the listeners and the viewers of this, I hope you look at yourself and ask that question, right? Because the fundamental thing, and I want to leave people with this to listen, and even you, I want to leave you with this. When you look back at this situation, right, what's going to be the legacy that you left? Two, three, five, six, ten years from now, when you go back and look at this situation, what was the legacy that you left? What's going to be the resounding echo that when it talks about, you viewer, you listener, what is that? And to know, like, you have a daily, every single moment, you have an opportunity to shape that narrative. So uh, for me, that that's what I want to leave listeners with. And that's my definition of what planful means to me. Well, excellent. I mean, that that's uh, really important words and uh, certainly something I, I will be thinking about myself. But um, thanks for your time, Chris. And uh, I really hope we get to do this another time, uh, another time soon. It was really great. Awesome, man. Thank you for your time. This was awesome. And, uh, you know, I hope all the listeners and viewers stay safe and well. Thanks, Chris. Yes. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.